Good morning, church. Good morning, City Life. Good morning, City Lifers, family, friends, visitors, YouTube watchers. So grateful that we are here again one more week to preach the gospel. So grateful, especially on this day, because this day is actually our one calendar year since last year, since our first Sunday that was canceled from being in person, our first Sunday being online and remote. And the one thing I just, we need to do today is praise Him. Praise Him for how healthy He's kept us as a church, for how good and faithful He's been to us. Thank you, Lord, for providing in all of the times where I doubted you. Thank you. Thank you. And so we do today, we do every Sunday, but today is, to me, a special one to praise and honor Him, to say thank you, Lord, for seeing us through our one-year anniversary. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Pedro Reese, and I'm the lead pastor here. Sorry, I like to do that at first. I think I forgot. But I want to start with this. I want to talk about my two years in Chicago. For City Lifers, you know, I talk about my time in mission year in Chicago uh, quite often, uh, but it's it was the central event in my life. And one of the parts of it that I don't always get to talk about is uh, the fact that in mission year, you are placed in an intentional Christian community. And if you haven't really read up on intentional Christian communities, it is this like beautiful thing that is has been a part of the Christian church, the church of God really since the beginning. And it's this group of people who come together who say, I am going to devote myself to this community. I am going to devote myself to this people. I'm going to invest in my livelihood, my peace. My life is going to revolve around this community. In Mission Year, we sign a team covenant together. We talk about what's going to be in it. We, we agree on what we want to put in there. And then we say, you know what? For this year, I am, I am tied to you and you are tied to me in all the healthy ways. And be like, look, I'm, if I will succeed when you succeed this year, if you find Christ, I find Christ. If you get to celebrate something, I'm going to be there to celebrate with you. I'm going to cry with you. And I'm also going to be angry with you. I, I love how... Uh, this call to following Christ is always communal as well. This week also something really interesting has happened. Uh, Beth Moore, one of the most famous pastors, definitely one of the more fe- uh, famous female pastors in this country, just this powerful speaker, by all accounts, really solid follower of Christ who is able to teach and preach so powerfully she has just announced that she is leaving her denomination, uh, and they are citing that they, can, they there are things that they can't overcome in their relationship anymore. So they're they're spreading, and all of this and reading the text for, that we have for this week has caused me to ask questions about unity. Because what's beautiful about the church, about God, is is that it, He causes us to be unified with one together, and with like when Beth Moore happens, and then. In Mission Year, when you read about intentional communities, you realize that some intentional communities that were the heart of it was so good and so Christ-centered crumbles apart so quickly. And for some of the most minute reasons, 
and you realize that God's call is continually calling us to be unified with one another in an act of service to him. And that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about in today's message. That's where Paul goes Today we are continuing our our mystery series through Ephesians, and Paul turns his attention, we're going to address this in a second, but he turns his attention to start talking about the unity of the church. And with all of the struggles that we see in the life of the church, of dealing with other people in the church, we have to ask ourselves really important questions like how far, how long do we keep fighting? How long do we stick together? When is it okay to go to a new church? When when do I leave this? When do we have so many um, obstacles that we, I just need to go somewhere else? All of that questions are so important in the life of believer, and we find it rooted in the Word here. When Paul turns his attention, inspired the, by the Holy Spirit, to start talking about unity in the church. And so let's pray before we read God's Word together. Let's not rush, but go into the reading of God's Word unified and together. Let's pray so that the Holy Spirit is here and present in the speaking of His Word, but also in the receiving of His Word. And so let's please um, bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, I thank You for this day. I thank You for how good You are to us. I thank You that You are an incredible God. I thank You that You are so holy, Lord. I thank you that you call us to be unified with one another as an act of worship to you. I pray that we as a church learn how to do that better and better in every season, Lord, but that we would be so convinced and in love with you that we would understand why, why you call us to the deeper things about being in communion with one another. Lord, we love you. Open up our eyes. Holy Spirit, you are welcome to be at every part of this morning. Teach us, open up our eyes, give us revelation, give us fresh spirit. We love you, and we come here to gather in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is God's Word. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, but we're really, uh, unfortunately for the sake of time, we're going to skip verses 8 to 11. There's just, there's just too much in all of this, so we, we had to boil it down to the main idea here. And so God's Word starts this, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that, you, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that, so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen, church. For four, three whole chapters now, we have been preaching through Ephesians. We have been preaching on two major themes. The first one being new life and the second one being new society. And this is a good summary. Stott summarizes the first three chapters, the, the themes of the first three chapters. And he says this, For three chapters, Paul has been unfolding to his readers the eternal purpose of God being worked out in history. Through Jesus Christ, who died for sinners and was raised from death, God is creating something entirely new, not just a new life for individuals, for a new society. Paul sees an alienated humanity being reconciled, a fractured humanity being united, even a new human being created. It is a magnificent vision. And so now for for weeks now, we've been unfolding the truth, the deep, deep truths in Ephesians so far, up up till now, chapter 4. And we've just been so blown away. And today we start a new theme in the letter of Ephesians. We've talked about new life, that everything about you is different. It's changed when you come to Christ Everything about who you were is in the past. You are a new creature. And then how he joins us together to be this church. And we, for weeks now, have been preaching about the beauty of the church. Truths that even we are like slow to recognize because we know how broken we are. We know how messy church can be. But God is saying all of these truths over us. And it's hard for us to accept, but we say, yes, Lord, like this is beautiful. This is the church that you died to start. This is the church that you promised yourself to in marriage, that you promised to never leave, and all of these things. And we come to this new segment of Ephesians, and I am calling it for us in our series, I'm calling it New Measures. New Measures, because this this is what this section is all about. It's saying, you know what, I have come to know these deep, deep truths. I've come to know the dimensions of Christ's love for me and his call to the church and how beautiful it is. And now I have this real and beating relationship with this Savior, with this Christ, who gave me everything that is most meaningful, who gave me my life, who gave me my family, who gave me life, who who allowed me to see this world like never before and actually start to live it. I love and it's out of this response for Christ that I now live I love how Paul here for the second time in the in Ephesians calls himself a prisoner for the Lord. And that's the sentiment that I, I would love for us all to just be so imbued with. Like, oh, I, I, Lord, I make myself uh, your prisoner. I, I, I make myself your servant, Lord. I, I want you to be my master. Everything that I do, everything that matters to me was given to me by you. And so you have my soul allegiance. Lord, I live for you and your family and your will, Lord. Oh, so beautiful. Ephesians is is just so mighty. Uh, One of the things that commentators talk about in this new section, in this new um, 
section of Ephesians is that Paul is transitioning from credenda and now he's focusing on agenda. Credenda is like is sharing doctrine and ideas. It's like all of the loftiness of the gospel. He's been sharing it over us in the queen of the epistles here, Ephesians, just showering us with so much beauty and so much truth. And now he transfers from a credenda and he starts to talk about agenda. What do we do with this now? If, if I don't live any of this out, this is a book on my shelf that does nothing, that means nothing. And in fact, I should never pick this up because this is too crazy. I, I, should, I should avoid all of this if this isn't true. And so he starts to talk about agenda. What do we do? How do I live this out? How do I embody everything about this? One of the things that I love also is that Paul, up until now, the mood that he's been writing in so far has been in the indicative mood, which means that he's been sharing, expressing statements of fact, teaching us. He's been this teacher this whole time, this preacher, just giving us truth after truth after truth, letting it go in deeper, deeper places. But now Paul shifts his attention and he starts writing in the imperative mood, which is in the imperative communicates authoritative commands. It's like, no, okay, now because of everything, now you do this, now you do this, now your life should be about this, you should be changed, it should be evident in your life and how you do all of this. Just knowing all this isn't enough. We need to start doing this. We need to be the church. And so in this new measures, and I chose the word measures because like we have to have things in our lives that show us, that measure us up. Oh, am I like, do I have objective things in my life that show that I believe in Christ, that I believe in this man who lived 2,000 years ago and changed the history of the world since then? Do I believe in him? How does that come out? What do I actually do to show people that I believe in the power and the story of Christ? How do I measure myself to see if there's things that just are screaming the gospel? And and, and where are the areas in my life that I don't, that I need to go up, that I need to grow up in? I, I, I love how in this section, Paul could have started anywhere. He could have started talking about agenda in anything. And the Holy Spirit moved in his heart to start talking about unity. Unity in the church. Unity as God's one people. And so today we're going to talk about character in unity. We're going to be talking about maintaining unity. And we're also going to be talking about attaining Christ. So let's start with character in unity. I love where Paul goes here. Remember, (laughs) we know this book. We know that it wasn't written anywhere. But Paul, he could have gone anywhere. The Holy Spirit could have inspired him in any direction. He starts to talk about this. It's so important to see where he started. Verses 1 and 2. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge, I urge you, I beg you, I'm on my knees, I'm begging you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing one another in love. This prisoner here, this prisoner for Christ, who has made his whole life about spreading the gospel to the world, his first imperative here is that we need to live lives that are worthy of the calling. I, I love how new measures brings out sense of responsibility, that my life, I'm responsible for living in a way that I actually believe all of this, that I believe Christ, that I believe that his life demonstrated what was real and significant, that it had implications for my life and how do I do this and that I'm not ashamed 
of him or his gospel, but that I want to live all of this. Our responsibility is so important. Not legality, not pressure, not condemnation. Those all belong to Satan. But know that like, oh Lord, you have changed my life so much. I need to respond. I need to respond somehow. And then Paul says, you know what's the first thing that you respond with? Your character. Humility or lowliness. Gentleness or meekness. Patience, forbearance, and love. We're not going to break out all of these, but let's look at some of them really quick. Humility, also a great way of thinking of it is lowliness. So let me, let's start here. Actually, no person that has ever lived really loves humility. Let's just be honest with that. We might have all been taught, oh, that's a great thing to aspire to. We might actually even like it when we see humility on display for real in real ways. But when the second it is that we need to be humble, I can assure you, no human wants to be humble. The second you're getting walked all over is, oh, okay, I don't want to be humble right now, Lord. But it's at those exact moments that humility is so important. In history, we see that this lines up. People do not like humility. Since this was written in the Greek, the Greeks never used the word for humble in a positive manner. It only connotated slavery and servitude and, and lowliness, what it's, what it's in. But that it's only in Jesus that the, the idea of humility is so perfectly embodied and it is so beautifully, beautifully attractive. It's only in the life of Jesus that the world is changed forever through humility. So much so, so, much so that let's read Philippians chapter 2. I, I'm, I'm losing my words. I love this passage so much. Philippians chapter 2, one of the first hymns in all of the church. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's what humility is. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point, uh, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Oh, like, well, how humility, how I'm I'm literally losing my words right now. How humble and how beautiful is Christ? That That he would do this. Even though he was God, he didn't even seek equality with God as something to be attained, but he showed us what a perfectly humble life looks like. Stott writes this. He says, Now humility is essential to unity. Pride lurks behind all discord, while the greatest single secret of concord is humility. Beautiful, beautiful. I wish we could stay there longer. Let's talk about gentleness or other, a better way to talk about it is meekness. Meekness, I'm convinced, I have a new appreciation for meekness right now. I'm convinced that possibly only love is greater than gentleness, meekness. But in Jesus, meekness, gentleness changed the entire world forever. This is what meekness is. I, I love this. Meekness or gentleness is strength under control. It's not weakness. It's not passivity. It's not rolling around for other people to walk all over you. It's actually strength under control. 
the quality of a person who has mastered themselves to become a servant of all others. That I so know who I am, that I know my identity in Christ, that I know my worth, that I know how beautiful I am, how much I am loved, that I am so on top of my emotional maturity, so on top of knowing myself and being confident in who I am, that it doesn't cause me to be prideful, but it causes me to be a servant. Christ changed the world with gentleness. Christ shaped his kingdom with gentleness. Imagine that. Meekness is the absence of disposition to assert personal rights, either in the presence of God or of men. You take that to the House of Representatives right now in this season, and you see how far gentleness is going to go. You take this to the Senate. You take this to your working environment. You take this to someone who is abused. You take this to everyone. You take it anywhere that people are and you see how far gentleness is actually going to get you. But when you are gentle, you are stronger than everyone around you because you so know who you are and you so know who Christ is and you so follow his example. Beautiful, beautiful. Patience and forbearing with one another work together in beautiful harmony. Patience is long-suffering towards aggravating people. We all know what patience is. And then forbearance is mutual tolerance. It's staying in the game when I want the game to end or want, I want to be traded. But no, God, God calls us in our character to be long-suffering with people because it's worth it. And then the crown jewel of all virtues, love. To do all of these in love. Uh, let's listen to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, 12 to 14 says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I love how God turns to these qualities first. In the new measures section, I love how you say, you know what, we can, we can address every, we're not going to address organization. We're not going to address uh, systems. We're not going to address mindsets. We're, we're going to address your character. He said, look at the speck in your eye, before, the log in your eye before you look at the specks and, uh, of other people. Unity is built on character. And oh, shoot, like, Lord, <laughs> that's too good and that's too hard. At times, it's honestly too hard. That the, the foundation of unity is our hearts. Because this church is built on all of us coming together to experience Christ. God's body together as one people to Him. Beautiful. What, a, what a, an astonishing claim. What an astonishing call. Uh, Lord, I want to focus on external things. I want to focus on, okay, how do we better program the Gospels? How do we include more families? How do we get unreached peoples in here how, how do we do all of these things and God says you know what start with your character first if this church is going to be unified start with your character a question I always ask myself is if everyone in this church if everyone in my family if everyone on my block if everyone in the world was built the same way that I am in my character integrity how would the world be good how would it be bad where would it struggle where would it desperately need help Lord, like, oh, if city life was made up of all of me, it's like, oh, where, where do we need you? Where, do you? where do I need to grow and mature? Where do I need to get stronger? Where do I need your hand to come and heal me? 
And all of this character comes in to start talking about maintaining unity. Let's turn our attentions to verses 3 to 6. Because of, because of character and because of these qualities, we start to get to verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Beautiful. Mind-boggling. Church, let me, let me teach you something. Whenever you get to a, a smaller portion of Scripture and you see one word repeated over and over and over and over again, stop reading ahead Spend some time in that text and say, okay, what is God saying here right now? Because in these four verses, we hear the word one seven times. Seven times. And so what is God reminding us through Paul? What is, what is all of this unity built on? It's oneness. Uh, let's, let's look at this. This is, this is the pattern that's emerging here. We have one Father who goes ahead and creates his one family. Right? God interrupts Abram's life. He says, you know what? You have no kids. You're an old man, but I'm going to bless every family on the earth through you. You're going to have so many kids that it's like counting the stars. Imagine that. One family. The father wanted one family for himself. And then on top of that, after that, when he accomplishes this family, he says he sends us this one Lord, Jesus, who in turn creates one faith, one hope, and one baptism. That the son of this father, he comes, that we have one name that we confess as our Lord and Savior. One name who brought us out of death into life, and it's Jesus. And not only that, but he unifies us by giving us one faith, one hope, one baptism, one shared identity as his followers. These are the things that are important to him. For us to be united under his one banner. And then on top of that, when, when the sun leaves, he goes back to heaven, he, they send the one spirit who creates this one body. And that's where we live in this church. And so we are called to oneness with God and oneness with one another because God in every form of who he is and in his plan is all about oneness, unity, for us to know him and be with him, be his family, be under his lordship, be under his spirit. And then he causes us all to be one with another. And so we learn through all of this that this call of unity is so important because it's rooted in God's character that our call to Christ is invaluable. It should be indestructive. It should be unshaking. It should be so strong and rooted. Last week we talked about being rooted and grounded in love. And and Paul takes that and he keeps that going. He says, you know what? A life that's responding to Christ is a life that is building unity. Your unity with God, your unity with Christ, your unity with the Spirit, but then also has everything to do with your unity with the church. I love how here he starts off in verse 3 that with the word eager, and the word eager here means that no, uh, despair, no effort. And it's this ongoing activity. Say, Lord, I love you so much, and you called me to do this, so I will never stop fighting for the unity of the church this church, City Life, but your church with all people. Every time I meet someone who confesses your name, Lord, I'm going to build them up. 
The section that we're not reading here is all about spiritual gifts, and we're not touching on this because we actually just preached on spiritual gifts at the end of last year. Go check it out. We have it on our YouTube channel, plug for our YouTube channel. But the gifts are are acts of grace towards us to build one another up. And and we'll kind of touch on that at the end here, but it's all built on this oneness. You see, this one of the things I appreciate about this is that Paul is kind of done for a little bit telling us about new doctrine. What's shocking about this isn't that it is like a new idea. What's shocking about this is that this is what God is calling us. He's saying, you love me, love the church. You love me, love these people. You love me, breathe unity in the life of the church. Be one with everyone here. Be eager to pursue this one identity that I've given you as my children. That's almost too much for us to take. And then he starts to talk about attaining Christ. Let's start in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You see, the spiritual gifts and the offices are for building up the body until we attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to mature the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here he he starts off with three really impactful statements. John Stott calls them three pregnant statements. He said, these are the three things. This is the pattern emerging here. That unity, that attaining the fullness of Christ takes a couple of steps. Not necessarily in order and in rank, but do these. A life that is responding to Christ is doing these things continually. Is that we're growing in faith of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. and To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The first one here is that we are people who are always spurring one another up to knowing to growing in faith and in our knowledge of Jesus, what he did for us, that we would be so grateful and reminding ourselves what Christ did at every time, telling other believers who don't go to our church, do you know what Christ did for you? It's so beautiful. Don't let lose heart. Don't give up because what you have is, so, is life itself. Don't let go. Keep on going. Let me teach you this about Christ. Let me be like Priscilla and Aquila who brought Apollos aside and taught him after they heard him teach something wrong so that he could go and teach other people the right thing and not just disqualify him, but say, hey, you got this wrong. Let me teach you what it really means. And so he can go out and reach countless other people. This is, this is so great. The first thing here is that we would be growing in our faith and knowledge of Christ. And the second one is another call to maturity. We talked about it last week, and Paul's continuing here, the call to mature manhood. Here, this, this, he's just using the manhood, the male t- language here, because it's, it's the neutral uh, masculine here. 
And he's saying this applies to women too. He's like, no, that we would be growing and growing, that this body of ours would be maturing, maturing emotionally, maturing spiritually, maturing and getting healing from our past wounds and not letting the things from behind us impact our future, but that we would be growing, that our character would be changing, that if we are the same way right now than we are in a month and we've lost opportunities to grow with Christ, I want to be somewhere that I haven't been before, that I don't want to be like a child anymore. How many of us like resonate with this? I don't want to be like a child anymore, just carried whenever the wind or the waves take me. I don't want what the popular doctrine of the church right now that isn't biblical. I don't want that to sway me. Like I don't want to just be a product of my age. I want to be a product of your word. I don't want to be a product of human intellect. What we just think, what's really popular in society now, I don't want to be a product of my society. I want to be a product of you. I don't want to be a a product of craftiness and deceitful schemes. Whatever the enemy or people with bad intentions just come up with, some of it makes so much sense, but we know that it's just not true. I don't want to be a product of all that. I want to be a product of you maturing my character, my integrity, my mind, my faith, my knowledge of Christ, and that when all of these things are going, it's like this concoction that starts to, we start living out in the fullness of Christ and it, I said this last week, if I have 30% fullness of Christ right now, then I, I want to live every drop of those 30% until I get 60% at some point in the future. When Christ increases me, it gives me more responsibility. I, I, want the, I want the fullness of what Christ has for me. And if there's this ongoing process that we won't be like children just getting pushed around all the time. But then like, like verse 15, let's give verse 15 some love right here that we would be speaking truth and love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. I, I love this verse, and I also have a problem with this verse. The English here kind of just it doesn't do the justice to what Paul was writing here. The, the English is limited. I actually think that this is probably the best translation we can have in English. But, you know, whenever you translate things, things are always going to be left behind. Meaning is always going to be left behind because it's just not always apples to apples. The word here for speaking the truth and love in the Greek has actually no connotation to verbally speaking. I understand why we translate it this way. It makes perfect sense when you know. But this this is the idea here. The more literal translation, if this made sense in English, would be that uh, rather that we would be truthing the truth and love as we are growing up. Truthing the truth in love. And to me, what that means is that we're so embodying, we are so putting on truth like armor that we're going to get to in a few weeks. That we are so living this out and embodying this like Christ did. We are so open-handed with him and saying, Lord, take me and mold me. You, I am your workmanship. The church is your workmanship. Take our organization and strengthen it and take away things that shouldn't be there, Lord. If, if we're doing all of this, if we're truthing the truth and love, that we would be growing up. You know, if, if I had a time machine, I would never go to the past. That was like the last thing I would ever want to do. I would never go to when I was younger because I'm, I'm looking toward the future. I am like, Lord, I am so blown away by how you have brought me to this point. I want to see where we're going. 
I want to see where city life is in five years. I want to see where we're going in 10 years. I want to see where we got it and where we missed it. I want us to be so in love with you that we look to, we make sense of the past and we bring healing to our past, right? But I'm looking to the future because we have places to go. We have people to bring to your family. Like, oh Lord, I want to grow up and I want to mature. And that's a forward facing thing most of the time. And I just, Lord, I just want to be this person here who, and this church here who is so consumed with you, who, who so answers the call and so devoted that like, yeah, yeah, we're going to go with you. And I could talk about this for a long time, but I know we're, we're coming up to the end of our time. And so let's, let's go to our conclusion of it. I love this part of scripture. I love this section of Ephesians. To me, it has been speaking so hard that it's actually, this was, I think, the most difficult sermon to write so far because it is just so thick and deep. It has so many implications. Like that, that's what Paul is focusing on now, right? Implications, agenda. How are we going to take this? How are we going to go forward? So, Lord, I, I want to be someone who lets you work on my character. I want to bring this church into your presence every time and say, Lord, you see us as a whole. Change our character. Make us whole. Make us better church that serves the people of Jersey City, that serves people online, that serves in any way we can, mature us, bring us to maturity. And I also love the natural circle that happens here. Verse 2 ends with talking about doing all of these, care, all of these values in love. Verse 16 ends by talking about a body building itself up in love. This natural circle here starts with love. God's agenda starts with love, and it ends with love. Verse 16, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. The reason why I'm not ashamed of coming up here and talking about our responsibility to follow Christ, that we have a responsibility to ourselves, to one another, and to the world, to people who don't know Him, to live this out, is because this isn't built on rules. This isn't an oppressive system. This isn't built on, hey, you gotta, you got to look the part to be, but you got to belong and start paying so that you can be a member here. No, 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 it's not about that. It starts and ends with love. And the whole process in between is about building and love. And so I love this. We can be proud of the message that we belong to, of the God that we belong to, because he was so driven by love and so instructs us to follow love and live out love and be growing and be pursuing taking care of other people. I love that. I love that God revolves around love, that the single word in Scripture used to describe what He is, is love. If love, if love was an engine, if all of this was like an engine, love would be the fuel that gives it power and the oil that lubricates it. It's what makes us go, what brings us longevity for unity. It's what causes some Christian in commun- intentional Christian communities to, te- to lo- uh, sorry, I don't even know what I'm saying. It's what makes some Christian communities last a long time and others not. It's this, it's this pursuit of living out God's love built on these characteristics. That's why we start with character and end with love. And so we ask ourselves questions like, how are we unifying the church? 
the big church, City Life Church, how are we unifying people under the same banner of Christ? How are we feeding life and maintaining unity in city life? I, I, I honestly don't think anyone in our church is a part of bringing disunity. But also, is everyone committed to feeding and building up unity? Like our church model is like, yeah, you can come here for two months, three months, six months, six months tops. You can come check us out. Just see our videos online. That's so easy to do. But at some point, like you, you got to come in. We got to start maintaining and building up love and unity. That we are no one is meant to be sideline Christians. But how are we feeding unity in God's church? How are we feeding love in God's church? And so that is our challenge. That's our challenge that we have to live out. That is the, the challenge of our life, being a part of the church until the day we meet Christ face to face. It's how are we bringing the church closer to one another and to God? How are we practicing oneness and being open-handed with our character, saying, God, mold me how you want me? So church, I love this. This is such a lofty goal. We all know that the church is full of broken people. But we also now know our mission to grow people and move them towards Christ in love with one another. And so let's tackle some prompt questions as we try and understand how to do this, how to live this up, how to go from credenda to agenda and say, Lord, how do we respond to all the things that you've taught us? All right, church, here are our prompt questions for the week. Question number one, which of these five virtues is easiest and which is hardest to live out? The five being humility, gentleness, patience, forbearing, and love. Which one comes easy? Celebrate that, lean into it, and which one do you need to grow in the most? Question number two. How do you pursue oneness with God and His church? How are you pursuing it? How like concretely are you saying, this is how I'm doing this? It's an important question to answer. Prompt question number three. What do you need to start doing and what do you need to stop doing in order to pursue unity in the church? What do you, what, how, are, how do we respond? What do you need to do to respond? It doesn't have to be the biggest first step, but we should be doing this more and more in every season of our life. All right, church, we love you so much. Jump on your MC calls now. Prom wrestle with these prompt questions. Also, be praying. This week is the first week of our new MCs and our new leaders and our new teams. And so if you have not heard from your MC leader quite yet, uh, then something has gone wrong. So email us at info at citylifenj.com because we want everyone to be connected to one of our MCs. Email us so that we get you on the roster. We believe everyone in City Life should be in an MC. And so come and live this out. Let's practice unity in our MCs together. If you have not heard from your new leaders, then reach out at info at, info at citylifenj.com and we'll get you connected. We love you all so much. We'll see you in our MCs. We'll see you next Sunday. Congratulations on one year as being a remote church and we love you all so much and we, we wait to be together. Love you all. Have a great week.